You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and I'm talking to you from the... What, what are we in the week first week is it's no longer week zero we're nearly one whole week into the Edinburgh Festival if you're here at the festival uh, then please make an attempt to go and see the following things these are uh, non paid for advertising submissions uh, these are the things I've seen recently I just want to quickly flag up you absolutely cannot miss Finn Taylor's Whitey McWhiteface that's on at 11.15 I think at the Counting House it's a free show but it's a tiny room and it's selling out so you need to uh, pay what you want online you can go via the Gilded Balloon website, I believe. Uh, do not miss that. Do not miss Matt Ewins, who has a show at nine o'clock called Matt Ewins Will Make You a Star. I always bang on about Ewins, but he has excelled himself this time, and I just want that room to be full. I was helpless with laughter during that show. Finn's is very clever and very funny and really challenging. Matt Ewins is just high-speed, ridiculous bullshit that has made me laugh more, I think, than anything else I've laughed at in, in a good few festivals' time. I would love you to go and see Tiffany Stevenson she has a show I've, the details of which I'm afraid I do not have in front of me but check out Tiff she's going to be released in next week's podcast um, so uh, go and check her out I, I've bumped her slightly back in the schedule so apologies to Tiff for that I hope you'll go and see her uh, by way of revision uh, for the podcast with her next week that we recorded live at Llama um, but uh, bump her I did because this episode I just wanted to rush out to you as soon as possible um, a couple of thank yous before I start we were very kind afforded some recording space by The Place Hotel. Uh, so thank you to Becky at The Place and indeed Gemma at The Stand who set this up for me um, so that I can have 90 minutes of, as you will hear, quite passionate conversation with an absolute... I mean, where are we? Up on the scale, what have we got? In terms of huge American comics, uh, there are very few left after the Brian Regan one you're going to love. That's coming out soon. Uh, Louis, I will do my damnedest to snag when I can. Um, but Bill Burr is just on fire at the moment he's at the top of his game uh, he's got an incredible range of uh, of very interesting very outspoken very funny material behind him and uh, he is currently on a European tour so I was very lucky to grab him my thanks to Michael O'Brien uh, for helping arrange this and uh, and thanks for bothering to read the email I sent and actually downloading the show hello Michael <laughs> very much appreciated and um, so my thank you to the stand uh, fabulous year round comedy clubs all over Scotland uh, and indeed in Newcastle as well um, so thanks Gemma from the stand and I imagine the 
place hotel is sort of slightly above the pay grade of most of my listeners but if you're a high roller do check out uh, the place i was expecting a room we were lent a suite and god damn it it was very nice too so maybe one day uh, when i'm on big big boy touring money uh, i'll be able to stay at the place hotel which is down on uh, on york place that's all the thank yous out the way and a couple of recommendations i'll have a few more for you in the middle but now please enjoy this conversation with bill burr So tell me about these uh, the the show times. You're doing like what? What was it? Three o'clock and eleven o'clock. Three forty-five afternoon show, and then I have a nice uh, like I don't know seven-hour break, and then I have the eleven forty-five. So that's I mean this is because the the late. Which one did you put on first? No, it's because show? my agent doesn't have to do the shows. Okay, but he does get the commission, so he's like, yeah, he'll do another one in the afternoon. Sure, stick him on. And what do you? But I actually have to say the afternoon show has really been fun, just because I went down there so resentful of having to do it, <laughs> of just like you know I landed you know and I showed up and it was a typical comic day show like the freaking you know what you know, most of it is I just don't communicate with people so I've always run into this problem is for whatever reason I always have these early morning flights and I fly to the next gig. And it's so stupid. Then I land at like 12 noon and I show up at the, the hotel 1231 and they're like, yeah, the room isn't ready. It's like, of course it isn't ready. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. So why'd you keep doing it? Yeah, so why, why, why wouldn't you just have me fly out later? Um, is that, that's a time of it. Like you're asking whoever books your flights or you book your flights and you're going, I want to just get out of town as soon no, as possible. No, I don't. I just, I don't like emails. I don't like any of that. So whenever they just go, hey, how do these flight look? <laughs> they look, I go, looks great. Okay. I always do that. Okay. So what did you hey, do? Hey, we're going to this country. How about this opener? Hey, it looks good to me. It's like <laughs> oh, that's I didn't, the sound I didn't of get, all of your openers' hearts breaking now. I didn't get, no, sometimes <laughs> I watch, but a lot of times it's just like I didn't get in this business to have a job. It's like yeah, I don't yeah. want to sit in like, in like this. I got into this business before all of the uh, – started in 92. So I got in before cell phones, before laptops and all of that. And right when I quit my day job, which was like around 95 – was right around the times people were really starting to get into like uh, like I had never been on the internet, but not yeah, by ninety okay. five had never been on it. So like I got to live a couple of years where it was it wasn't like how you had to almost walk around with like this cubicle with you with a fax machine and all of that stuff. I mean, fax machines an old thing, but I am I am um, yeah I just like doing the shows. So um, all of that's my fault. And it's not like I don't watch younger comics and try to see who's good because I'm still a huge fan. And I actually get excited when I see somebody that I can tell is going to be great. Um, I like to think I can tell. So, uh, But, you know, if I'm just, you know, dealing with my life and everything and they give me like five links to sit there and, you know, watch five different comics, you know, if I have the time, I will do it. But other times I'm just like, you guys know who the good people are. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and also, I, is it really fair? I'm going to sit there and watch like, it, you know, here's, here's their one bit. And I know that the comic probably didn't get to pick the bit. It's the agent and they're on TV, so it's all cleaned up. And it's just like, you know, I don't know. I try to simplify my life with the, the least amount of thinking possible. Okay. And how do you how do, you do that? Because I, I could do with a simpler life. Is it just a case of now being sufficiently successful? You can just have someone take care of all that stuff. I just give you like, how many emails do you get a day from your manager or your agent or anyone? I don't know. They, I always tell them to text me because now they know to be like, check your email. Because I just, I look at it and it's just like, it's like overwhelming. Like my wife looked at my email one time and she laughed. It said I had like over like, you know, 15,000 unchecked emails. 
a lot of it's spam and shit like that. But um, yeah, I just I don't like I don't like the. She, my my wife actually called me up, right? She was going, you have a really high phone bill. And she goes, you also have like three different phone numbers here. So she starts going, do you got like some secret phone number here? You, <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. And she was looking at the numbers, and one of them was a New York number. And we left New York like seven or eight years ago. And I vaguely remember I was sick of going to hotels paying for Internet. So I got my own little contraption that you you yeah, that, yeah you remember those things yeah like a dongle or something yeah that right? you set next to your thing and that was its own deal and its own thing and, and like i tried it like three weekends in a row and it was so frustrating it's i don't even know where it is and i'm in the back of my head i knew i was still kind of paying for it but like she goes so you've been so i've been basically paying for that for like the last nine years but and- in my world it's easier to just give them the 30 dollars a month than to try to get on the phone and be like, if you want to do this, press one. If you want to do that, um, so and- they're effectively they're effectively taxing your. It's like you're paying rental on not having to have that conversation. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and to, in my world, it is completely worth it because I find the whole robot lady in the phone thing. I find it unbelievably hostile. Like they just. I hate that. Hmm. I seem to be having like like the person's actually thinking and and like they they. I just keep going person person. Operator, yeah, that's operator, that. yeah. and the, and now they've worked their way around that, and it's just like they don't want to ha- they don't want to pay anybody, they want to pay the voiceover actor to read all the possible scenarios, and then it's up to you. It's not up to me to fucking figure this out. I don't work for you. So what? Let's bring it back to the the shows between the shows. When you have a three forty and an eleven forty show, what did you do with yourself yesterday? What happens to your body? What's your energy like in between? Like this is like an eight hundred seater theater. Oh well, so, I've, I've been um, I've been uh, traveling ten days out here, so like my, my my clock is still all screwed up. So um, I don't remember what I did. I went back. I did a podcast. I was allegedly going to work out. I just remember the hours. I couldn't believe how quick it went. It went past. It just kept going and going and going and going. And um, did you mean the hours in between the shows? Yeah, like yeah. I thought it was going to seem like forever, and it felt like three hours. And then when I went to go up for the second show it was weird because the first show went great and but there was so much time between them i couldn't just kind of stay in you know half a zone that i was in the first one and kind of carry that into the second show it's like it felt like the show happened yesterday it was weird the time in between the show totally flew by but then the show when i got there seemed like a long time ago so then i went on stage and i opened with the sort of the same stuff first couple of jokes which then had me thinking about the first show, so then I wasn't present. So whenever that happens, what I immediately do is I just do a joke that I didn't do on the first show. Okay. Then that'll zap me into like, oh, here I am at the 11.45 show instead of so being at the 11.45 show thinking about the 3.45 yes. show. Yeah, so you're used to, like when you're on tour, you're not regularly doing two shows a night. That's more of a comedy club thing. Um, is it, or are you no, doing... Sometimes, you know, it's, it's sort of random. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I was, I was in... Uh, uh, Dublin, as they say, I did two. Belfast was one. Galway was one. Um, so, like, if there's sufficient demand and your agent goes, oh, yeah, he'll do a little 3 p.m. show, you'll do extra no, if there stuff, was, or is that just for festivals? No, I don't know why, how this, this worked out. I think my agent, I'm just shitting on my agent because it's fun to do. <laughs> I just think he was just like, well, he's over there. If he can squeeze in another show, he might as well do it. Um, but I have to tell you, I loved the, the 345 show. Like, I had so much fun. And it's such a great set. 
I was actually joking on my podcast that I would love to become the 3.45 p.m. comedian. Yeah. Why fucking wait around to 8 and all that? If I could get the, just get the show out of the way... It's great. I'm doing for the. I'm doing the earliest one I've ever done this year. This is my sixth hour at the Fringe. I'm doing three three forty five. Yeah. Now. It's just that people it's would incredible. still be at work. That's the only reason why yeah, you yeah. can't do it. But I mean, if there was any way, like that, I could just get like if I could do two shows, like a one o'clock show and a four in the afternoon, and then just be done. Ah, it'd be tremendous. Is there something more kind of transgressive about your material at three forty five in the afternoon? Does it? Does it? No, it made. It, to me, it actually made it funnier and more absurd. The things that I was saying because it was still daylight out, it just kind of shined a light on what an idiot I was. And it was kind of making me laugh at myself. And it was also, there was another level of surprise that you could hit people with by yeah. coming with like, you know. Because you're already out of context because it's the middle of the day. Totally. So yeah. To sort of come at somebody with 10 o'clock at night energy at 3 in the afternoon is a really funny thing. I really felt them pulling back. But they... they in the beginning and then they just kind of got on board um i'm you know i'm having a i'm having a really good time so does the does the edinburgh fringe itself mean anything to you do you have any kind of context of it from i just from always remembered acts? it was a month long yeah and there was no way to do it unless i came here for an entire month and i just rem i just it always seems so ridiculous to me it's just like dude i don't have a butler like what am i supposed to do with my you know I have an apartment. I was living in New York at the time. Like, I just didn't... I mean, the most I ever did on just straight on the road was I did two weeks. And I came back a little over two weeks. And I came back and literally the water in my toilet had almost evaporated all the way down. My landlord had broken into my apartment. Didn't even break in because he had a key. And they stole some stuff out of my apartment. There's just something about, you know, leaving your place that long and you don't have anybody looking after it like... Uh, Maybe that's why I never did. I never did it. It just seemed like, um, because I wasn't over here. Like I didn't see the gain of it when I was just living in the states. I get it if you live in the UK and Ireland, and all that, because you go here and you kill, and everybody gets it. Then you can get all these gigs over here, right? Mm -hmm. um, or i keep building on it year after year after year. Like if I lived over here, I would totally do it and be like, "This is this is perfect." But if I live all the way on the other side of the globe. You know, and nobody knows who the hell I am. And then I'm going to come over here, try to get some traction, and then I'm going to leave. Um, you know, I don't know enough about the festival. Can you kill hard enough your first time that you can come over here and actually then make money? Like, it just didn't seem possible. I felt like I need to establish myself in my own country first. Yeah. You know, um, finally start making money. Because I was, like, sleeping on, like, a futon until I was, like, 36 or 37. Those were... Those were some, uh, it's weird, like I was growing a lot as a comic, but those were definitely some dark years. They're kind of, of much. Of, of just laying there going like, am I going to be the guy that no one ever gives a shit about? Like yeah. It's, it's, it was terrifying. They're much, they must be pretty good years to look back on rather than to live through. Because that's like, you've got a certain amount of Jews there. Like, it's quite good to be able to say, I slept on, I was sleeping on my couch, guys. This is, this is meaningful. You know, my success yeah. now is meaningful to me. Yeah. I'm relieved. Is <laughs> more what it is, but what what it is nice is to be that that people actually come out and they want to see you, and uh, it it really is one of the uh, most ridiculous privileges you could possibly have to to be a touring comedian selling tickets, and you don't have any day job is basically as free a person as they'll let you be. I mean, it's incredible, and like. 
you know, so many people try to get TV shows and movies, which, you know, I've tried to do that too. I'm working on a cartoon right now and everything. But, like, you know, there was in the last couple of years where I just kind of let go of all of that. I was like, why do I want to do that? I'm making enough money. I can eat every day. I got a roof over my house, you know, or I'm over my head of my house. Over my head. <laughs> over my <laughs> These big American comics yeah. with the double roofs. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I felt like I had what everyone was working for. I had free time, and I could do whatever I wanted. And it's never uh, the fact that, like, I can now work whatever weekend I want to work. I can work as much. I can't. You can never work as little because, you know, the the, the whole, you know, no matter what, you're always going to be running on the wheel. But um, just the fact that I can be like, you know, I don't feel like going out tonight or uh, these are the places I want to work and all that. is insane like and and but i mean it took me you know 20 something years i was definitely a, a slow burn um type of thing because you know I, I didn't have a hook you know i wasn't the you know you know all the different types of stuff and yeah. so i just the only option i had was i just have to keep coming back to the si- same cities keep going remember me i'm funny hey it's a new another new hour just just keep coming back is that that's really interesting to hear that you you didn't or, I mean do you consider yourself to have more of a hook now or do you still feel because I know that is something a lot of comics listening to this who feel that they don't have a, a hook that's a big having a hook is a very dangerous it's a it's a double-edged sword where you go up fast but then then it becomes like uh you know if, if it's too big of a hook, you start to become that whole, which I've never understood this expression, but you become a parody of yourself. I don't know how you parody yourself. It's like you came up with it. But what that just really means is people know what you do and they've seen it. And just like, you know, how many, how, how, how long can you get away with doing that? Yeah. So if, you know, I don't want to name any comics, but like I, I've just seen people that go up really fast and the the danger of that, you know, is that, you, you don't have the hours, you know what I mean? To, to be, you know, where as high up as you go when you're standing there, you don't feel, I at least wouldn't feel that I was standing on granite. I would feel like I was, it was sand and I had to run in place up there so I didn't topple all the way back down. But what happens with comics like myself is we don't have hooks, but, you know, just being measuring yourself, like, well, I started with that person or they, I, they started a little after me. Um, and they're way beyond where I'm at. I must be doing something wrong. I need to get a hook and all that. But what changed for me was when I just kind of let go of all that. And I was just like, I'm just going to try to like, you know, what I just looked back. What was my goal when I got into this business? It's just like I wanted to get really good as a comedian. And I, all this other shit starts to distract you getting auditions. Oh, this person's hosting this game show. This person's doing this. This person got that, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, I didn't get anything. I didn't get anything. And it's just like, I didn't want to do that. I didn't get in this business. I didn't want to host a game show. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to, uh, I, I, I wanted to be like a comedian that, that, that sold tickets and traveled around and made everybody laugh. Like I just thought it was the coolest job you could ever had. Now that was me looking at it with naive eyes. I didn't know the loneliness the misery, like when yeah. I was a kid, when I used to watch comedians, I was like, hey, they must be the greatest people ever. They're always <laughs> like that. They're just joking around all the time, you know? So, um, uh, but I still to this day, like I still like uh, love dropping into comedy clubs, working out new stuff. And uh, 
I've told this story on a bunch of podcasts, but uh, not over here, so I can maybe this will be sort of <laughs> yeah, over here. You realize I, these I, are online. I, I, I know, but still, somehow, like, you know, there's like, what I learned when I was traveling, that there's different parts of YouTube and stuff. Yeah, And sure. there's different parts of the internet. Like, I, when I was trying to, like, you know, I played drums as a hobby, and I, there was a drum lick I was trying to figure out, and the only guy who did it was a French guy, and it was in French, but I could listen to what he was doing. But when I clicked on his video, all of a sudden, all the videos to the right were in French. Yeah, and yeah, I was okay. like, "Oh shit!" It's I, a French internet. Yeah, I thought this was just for us. I had no idea. So that's when when so I you you tell me the story that's that's for the, that you've done on podcast before, and for me to keep it in line with this podcast, I will have to challenge you on some aspect of it. Yeah, no, but I'm so now I'm going to get into the whole whatever your world is on the internet. You know, so that's that's how I look at it. So when I when I when I learned that, that's when I was like, oh shit. So I when I was would tour Europe, I would bring DVDs and I would just carpet bomb different areas. I would go to Norway or Finland and those places. I just gave them away because I wanted them to get on Norwegian YouTube. And I also knew that it would look cool if you lived in Norway. Be like, hey, I know this this American guy. The same way wow, if I knew okay. a Norwegian comedian or something like that. When were you doing this? When what year were you doing this? Like two thousand nine. Okay. Ten back then, back right at the very end of people wanting DVDs, <laughs> right at the very end. Um, so I've, I, made, I, I've made all these. I can't sell them. Yeah. Let's try a different tag. <laughs> so here's the story that I've told on my part of YouTube <laughs> that I will now tell on Scotland's YouTube or wherever the, wherever this is based out of. Um, I remember um, during my futon years, and I was living in what was called a one bedroom apartment. But when I got to know the chick upstairs, I had a studio, and they just slammed a wall in it. <laughs> And charge me extra. And once again, I could have sued them. And I was just like, I don't want it. It just was too much of a headache. That goes back to the robot lady. Like, I'm not fucking showing up to court with papers and stuff. I, just, I don't care, right? So anyways, um, I used to live right near the, the uh, what the hell was it called? The comic strip. So I said, you know, you just watch TV. I'm going to run out and go do a spot, right? So I ran out and I did like a... a a spot and she'd ask me like how much the spot costs and like those spots it was so weird like during the week you, you do a spot and you got it paid anywhere it's between like five dollars to eight dollars like eight dollars it was just weird they give you five and three singles right <laughs> so she thought it was funny she couldn't believe how little you got paid during the week right so i went out to go do this bit and um whatever and i i tried out something new and it worked and it was something i was working on so i came home and i was so psyched i was doing this stupid dance in the kitchen and she was laughing, and then all of a sudden she just got this really like sort of melancholy, sad look on her face. And I just I go, well, I go, what's the matter? I thought I pissed her off or something. She goes, and she just goes, she goes, I wish I had a job where I got paid eight dollars and I came home and did a dance in the kitchen. And it was so fucking profound, I never forgot it. I was just like, yeah, man, that's a pretty cool job. I never looked at it that way. But I've also never been the greatest with money too. I was just like psyched, like I got something new to say. I'm not going to be hating my act on stage anymore. This is great, that's, you know. That's the best. That's the best feeling. That like. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a new thing working. Yeah. Is uh, I think those are the things that get you through it. When you are when you are a guy with no hook. When you're when you're building the granite. You know. When you're at the quarry sleeping on futons. Right. Um. You don't know, do you? You don't know whether you're going to end up being Bill Burr. You're going to end up in your position. You're just <laughs> powering away. Knowing that there's another thing, yeah, I think you have an old, we're all sleeping on futons. But you also have to have that overall belief. Like I always as as, as depressed and as scared as I got, I always ha I always just had this overall belief from the beginning that I I was I was going to be okay because it was the first thing I ever did 
that I felt like I had a natural ability for. I didn't know how good I could get at it, how bad I'd be, but I knew that that it was in my wheelhouse, as 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 we say. But like I remember when I was playing drums and stuff. As good as as much as I tried and hard as I ever, you know, practiced. I would always go to the music store, and then there'd just be some eight-year-old kid just wailing on the drums. And I tried to block it out, but I knew it right there. That was life going like, look, this is the, what the gift looks like. You don't have that. You're just a weekend warrior. You're just a guy that likes drums, but you're not a drummer. And I tried all this stuff. I tried construction. I tried all this stuff, and it wasn't until I did stand-up. And when I met other comedians, and they never seemed weird to me. It just it just fit, and I was just I just very early on felt like uh, you know this this is where I'm supposed to be. I mean so, I don't know so how far it would go though. Who were you on stage at that time? How what were the what are the differences between you on stage now and you on stage then when you were first starting out? All right, well there's a couple levels. Well, first of all, you change as a person over twenty something years. So me on stage and me off stage are different than me on stage and off now, but. The difference now is um, I'm just sort of me. Where back then, you know, you know what the deal is. Like they always talk about trying to find your voice as a comedian. And I've always, you know, I kind of believe that everybody has their voice as a comedian at their first gig until they walk on stage. It's like when you're standing in the back of the club, you have your voice. You know who you are. You know what you think about things. And then they bring you on stage and it's such your first time on stage and you're holding a microphone and you're just talking and people are listening is so socially weird that you then get outside yourself and you're watching yourself and you immediately lose your voice. And then you spend the rest of your career trying to get it back, which is and all of it. That's just an elaborate way of saying being just as comfortable off stage as you are on stage. Like the thing that makes you be, want to be a comedian, like you're in a pub, you just walk in and you tell a story. You know, something funny happened to you at work. You come into the pub. You talk to your friends. You didn't rehearse it. You didn't write it down. Sure. You just winged it. Totally improv. That the, the same shit that people, if a comic does that, people are like, oh, my God, that's genius. The courage, the blah, blah. People do that all the time. But what it is, is they're fearless among their friends. Because it's their friends. They don't care. And you'll stand up. You'll act it out. You'll do the whole thing. You'll do different voices. You'll tell the whole thing. And kill and then you don't you don't hoard it and memorize it and be like oh I got a new bit you didn't you just sort of sit around breaking balls and then if something else funny happens you come and you tell another story so then when you become a comedian then it's like you have to like artificially create that recreate that moment that's when it becomes weird and then that's when you stop being the guy in the pub and you start being you on stage watching them watching you and dry mouth and how do I get the mic out of the mic stand and all of this shit that you don't have to deal with when you're just sitting down in a bar. So um, basically what, what I feel finding your voice is, is not like, you know, hmm, what's my point of view? What's this? What's that? It's all you have to do is just, just through seriously working on it, try to get as comfortable off stage. As when you're sitting in a bar with your friends, that's what it feels like when you're talking to a crowd. So then... If something happened to you that day, you don't have to write it down. You just walk in like, oh, yeah, I am fucking believe I was coming over tonight, this, this guy in a cab, he blah, 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 blah. And you just tell the story. And then after the show, you just make the determination like, is that worthy of telling again? Was it fun enough for me? Am I going to have fun enough telling that, that I'll be excited enough that it'll actually be interesting for these people to listen to? 
And at what point did you realize that? Because you, you, well, one of the fascinating things about you as a comic is that you started off writing, sitting right, like writing longhand writing. Yeah, wrote which it a all lot, up, a lot of comics worked totally clean. Yeah, did the whole the whole thing. Why, why, why clean? Was that just as a as a hurdle to set yourself to get better? Um, no, I was afraid of getting heckled, and I didn't want to offend people, okay. so I totally worked clean. And uh, there is, I feel, a misconception with like working clean is harder than working dirty. I mean, you can definitely dirty your jokes up to uh, you know to make them extra funny, but you know, working totally clean. You know, a lot of people, like, if you say to somebody, if they're hiring you as a comic, that this is a clean comic, that doesn't just mean that you don't swear or curse. It also means that you're not going to have a point of view that is, is going to upset anybody in the crowd. Because I could go on stage in front of plenty of political groups, religious groups, and all those, work totally squeaky clean, and I could have them absolutely livid at me. All you'd have to say without cursing is that you don't believe Jesus was around and uh, I don't have a problem with abortion or whatever the hell you wanted. You know what? The, you know how to get under their skin. And you could say all of that and never curse and work totally clean and they would still dispute paying you. So, um, there, look, there's, there's, there's easy and difficult things on both sides. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can definitely use the F word to punch up an area of the thing that, that, of the joke that isn't working. But also, if you're totally working totally squeaky clean, you're not going to have to worry about ever, like, you know, being one of these comics that for whatever reason some blogger's going to get offended by. And then you've got to deal with, like, you know, that total pony and dog show of somebody who gets offended at a show and he gets treated like this, you know, international incident now. Um, do you enjoy, you mentioned getting under people's skin. You, you must, I, I, I say you must, do you take pleasure in getting under people's skin? Is that like a pleasurable Sometimes, but there's you? also like, you know, just the way I, I, you know, all the hell gigs I did and everything, there was a way to present material sometimes in a way that sounded like it was going to go off the rails and be a train wreck. And uh, that would always get people to listen, like, oh, fuck, what, what, you know, what's, yeah. what's going to happen here? And then there's other, t other times, like, um, I, I really don't, th I don't think, I don't break down or analyze what it is that I'm doing that much. I don't, unless somebody asks me, but, like, I, uh, I try to have no set rule as far as, like, um, you know, you ever hear a comedian like a green room just be like, uh, he'll say something, all the comics laugh, and they go, oh, you should do that on stage. And they'll be like, oh, that isn't me. That isn't me. It's like, well, who the fuck just said that? You did. So it is you. Yeah. You know? I thought that last night with the gorilla bit, which I wasn't going to go into detail right. on here because obviously it's a new, you know, sort of tour. But that seemed to me to be so different to everything that had come before it. It was but, real pleasure in seeing the, the, the absurd direction in which you took it. But the thing is, is if you watch that bit, that is every skill that I know how to do. So, and it's exhausting. And I used to avoid that bit. <laughs> but now I got a special coming up. So I'm making myself do it every night. And so what I try to do is, a, um, <clears throat> rather than just being this guy, oh, he puts out, here's another special. You know, here's another one. Here's another one. Even if they're funny, I don't want it to just be more of the same, more of the same, more of the same, more of the same. Um, I feel like you, I, I try to just have like incremental improvement.
Um, I'm, I'm just sort of competing with my last special. And there's different skills sets that I'm working on, you know, act outs or, or, or whatever it is. And that's how, um, I guess, for me, like, so I don't go crazy as a comic and just be like, well, now I just have to come up with another hour of shit doing the same tricks that everybody knows. What keeps it exciting for me is improving. And it's kind of like, like uh, to go back to playing drums, you don't just get to a certain level of playing drums. There's always something you can work on. There's always a new lick. There's some new style of music that you can try to incorporate into whatever you're playing. And you can do that. I found that if you have that sort of discipline with the instrument, then you can do the same thing as a comedian where um, you can learn how to do all these things. So now what I'm finding is as I learn all these different little skill sets, then you can really have an elaborate bit like that gorilla thing that I'm working on. The old me would have just stood there and be like, yeah, I watched this thing and she did this. Why the fuck didn't she do that? Yeah, right. What's up with that? Right. This is basically and it would have been, you know, maybe a two minute bit if I was lucky. And the gorilla things turn into like a ten. I don't even know. I don't even have any timed it, but like it's turned into this really long thing. And, and last night, the second show, that's the one I saw. That's okay. The, yeah. Well, the very end, I I found a whole other area. I'm like Jesus Christ. I could flesh that out, and it just keeps it just keeps getting. Um, and that's only because I I made tried to make sure that I I, I worked on my stuff. Like there is a method to what it is that I'm doing. Like, I don't want to, at the end of my career, have, like, even if it was 14, 15 specials and they were all considered funny, but if it was just sort of like, you know, you know what I mean? You ever, like, listen to a band and they just keep basically writing the same song over and over again? It, It gets burned out after, like, three. But if you look at the bands that stick around, they're always adding to their style. They'll lose a few fans, but then they pick up some more because of the new stuff that they're doing. Um, like I watched you two do that, you know, throughout their career. They've gone through so many f- levels where they're just people are just like, oh, my God, what are they doing? I'm so over and blah, blah, blah. And then they come back around again. They get more people and they've stayed at like this really high level. The only people I've ever seen be able to just kind of do what they do and just kill with it is ACDC. Yeah, right. Because yeah. <laughs> they're they not just, changing the format anytime but soon. They just <laughs> sort of had it so perfect from uh, from day one. But like. I actually um, got, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, I get a lot of inspiration from bands as much as I do comedians. And there's something about a band where you go in and the way they have to win a room over. um, I relate to that as a comic. And uh, there is that thing where people aren't into you when you're playing that there's that thing that you can like then you know go on your heels and cower and be like the you know the crowd stunk and blah 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 or what you can do is go even harder and even if they don't like you you can enjoy the comedy of that like when i have like you know back in the day when i would do stand up there was you know if i you know the, the classic comedy situation everybody's laughing except for this one jerk down front and that person would drive me nuts and then eventually i'd have to talk to them and they would win because i would stop my show to talk to them exactly what they wanted and then after a while i kind of realized like oh you know maybe they're just sitting there because something terrible happened their dog died or some shit there could be that or they really are the cunt that i think they are and why give them the satisfaction like why do i you know if if 99 of the room is enjoying me you know 
why do I care? If I, if I was like a politician, I would, I, would, I would never get kicked out of office if I had that level of approval rating. So what I did was I just turned that what used to be a horrible moment into a fun moment. Because what I would then start doing is I would just overly commit to every joke, which then would make me actually start to have an even better set. And I would just send all of my jokes right out over their head. Okay. Like if they were down close enough. My favorite thing is if they were in like the first couple of rows in like a small comedy club. I'd make these big sweeping gestures with my hands right above their head. Like I, I felt bad for the people in the front row sometimes because <laughs> I'd be like my dick would be right in their face. But I would just be like right over their heads and just going as hard as I possibly could. And you'd just see them, and they would just sit there staring at you. And then in the end, I would always just make sure to be like, I cannot tell you guys how much fun I had. And I would just <laughs> right over their head. And, um, you know, that's the type of stuff that just for me, I had to do. Like all those little things can either just slowly weigh you down or you just you turn them around and just be like, you know... So this is Bill. I'm really enjoying this conversation. I hope you are too. Um, it's, uh, he's a, a very commanding presence, a very passionate person. And uh, as you will hear, we butt heads later. So uh, that's, that's all to look forward to. Um, we'll get right back to this as soon as we can. Uh, other things to recommend, including a couple of people I'm going to try and grab for the podcast while I'm up here. Um, if you are at the Edinburgh Festival or if you are not, then you can look up these people online. These are just people who are new to me, who I've seen recently and been very excited by. Loyesu Gola, that's L-O-Y-I-S-O. G-O-L-A, a South African comic uh, with a show at the moment called Dude Where's My Lion over at the Pleasance Courtyard. Um, that's a very funny show. He's he's very, very good indeed. I'm expecting him to do great things at the festival. Um, and also, I very much enjoyed Chris Gethard. Now, I'm, I'm trying to get in touch with Chris. If you're a pal of his, give him a nudge on my behalf. Uh, I've emailed him. I'm waiting to see if he, if he gets back to me. Um, because his show, he's a he's sort of very exciting uh, American comic who's from a background of the Upright Citizens Brigade, did a brilliant, brilliant show here at the Pleasance Courtyard called Career Suicide, which is uh, about, I mean, it's absolutely quintessentially com-com material. It's all the things I like. It's raw, it's honest, it's really unflinching, and um, it's about mental health and comedy and how we live and how we survive the two things. So uh, please go and see Chris Gethard, and he's had an enormous web presence as well, so you can check out his videos uh, g-e-t-h-a-r-d so that what else have i seen if you're in time and you're still in edinburgh go and see the doug anthony all-stars in the name of god oh my word they've not been to edinburgh for 25 years this is two of the original three members of the double act uh who have aged uh spectacularly and appallingly as age must treat us all and um and they are I mean, I don't even want to spoil anything. If you're, uh, I mean, they, they're wonderful, wonderful singing, brilliant singers, just incredible front cloth patter. They were the sort of people I'd have seen on shows like Viva Cabaret in the 80s and 90s or, you know, the Montreal sort of shows that really inspired me when I was a teenager and um, so exciting to, to go and, and finally get the chance to see them live. M me and Pete Dobbing went along and after 20 years worth of going, oh God, wouldn't it be great to see the Doug Antonys? The, the, our expectations were absurdly high and they were completely met. So go and see those things. Thank you to everyone who came to ComCom Redacted. There'll be another one uh, on uh, the every Tuesday of the Fringe at 6.45 in the Banshee Labyrinth Chamber Room. And 
last thing before we go back in a couple of donations have been coming in very much appreciate those um, there's a, a couple of little tens and twenties here and there uh, I've yet to have another big belly buster I feel slightly like I might have put you off by saying look this person gave me a hundred pounds that is as Arnold Rimmer would say a rare nay freak occurrence so please don't be put off donating but on that subject I am really pleased and proud to be having a wonderful time here at Edinburgh, not least because my family are here, but of course, I'm really enjoying my show. I'm on the free fringe this year, as you know, and it occurred to me, I've been saying that very glibly and um, and not really, I've been studio glibly and I've not been uh, explaining to a lot of you what that means. I'm just going to very quickly tell you now for just uh, two minutes or so how it all works. So if you know how it works, spin on, but you know, I mean, it's only two minutes, it probably won't even be that long. Between 2000 and 2014, I brought three hour-long shows here, and they all lost me money, even when they sold really well. In 2012, I think I did a show called Prick, and that was at the Pleasance Courtyard, and it's uh, great PR and all the rest of it from the, well, you know, blah, blah. Um, and uh, and I sold 80 seats a night, and I came out of here, and I'd lost three or four thousand pounds. So... The fact that there is an organisation out there, or what is now several splinter and factional organisations, but an idea, the idea, Peter Buckley Hill's free fringe, to enable comics to come up here and work for free, to be in venues where we're not charged, we don't pay ticket prices, and of course this appeals to me, this is that old kind of crowdfunding thing that I was accidentally training myself to do as a street performer before crowdfunding was even a term. Um, there are so many wonderful free shows here at the Fringe, so I hope and trust that you, as my my cleverly cultivated and um, and very intelligent, uh, pretty audience members are uh, my listeners. Um, I, I hope that you're seeing loads of them. So please do go and investigate the Free Fringe. Go and see uh, free stuff. You can you can. It's a really good way to incentivize people to come and see your show. From the point of view of the artist, people can take a risk on you. If you're someone like myself who has the beginnings of a core of TV profile and a little bit of a core audience, namely you guys, um, then it, it just enables me to come up here and put on big shows. I'm, I'm filling the room, man. It's on at 3.45. Get there at 3.20 would be my advice. Um, it's at the Liquid Rooms Annex, which you can access via Victoria Street in Edinburgh. And... Um, I just think that that model, it's like the model we use on the podcast, where I don't need to rely on, personally, I don't need to rely on beer sales or uh, advertising things. I'm, I'm never going to, I'm not going to rule that out. I can't afford to rule that out, nor will I commit to the free fringe for the rest of my life. But it's certainly the level I'm at now, it, I'm really enjoying it and appreciating it. So I just wanted to say thank you to everyone that is been a part of PBH's Free Fringe and making it happen. It's all voluntary. Uh, and thank you to everyone who is on any Free Fringe up here and performing. And thank you to everyone that's coming to see the shows. So on that note, if you're enjoying this, then I'm crowdfunding this as well. So if you're, uh, if you're enjoying the Comedians Comedian podcast, then um, let me know that by way of a cash donation, uh, an online a cash donation in person. You can say something cool. And very quickly, before we move on, my favourite one recently was a guy called Philip, um, who now, Jesus, oh yeah, so I played MMORPG, MMORPG, which is a brilliant Paul Flannery project that's on at the Counting House, 
um, which is a Dungeons and Dragons game. It's a role-playing game, and uh, I played a horse in the end, <laughs> quite uh, quite accidentally, uh, quite coincidentally. And then uh, someone came up and gave me some money for the horse and said something cool. Philip, tell me, remind me what it was because it made me laugh. But I was all full of adrenaline, and I'll retweet it at ComComPod. So if you want to press cash in my hand to say thanks for the podcast, you can do that when I'm at the festival or when you see me somewhere around the world, um, or you can. Uh, you can uh, donate online, as you know, with a recurring or a one-off uh, payment at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. And if you want something for your money, as well as all the hours of free content, you can, of course, uh, fo- follow the links at comedianscomedian.com and download my album Extra Life. And I'll be releasing uh, last year's tour as well very soon after this festival. So um, you can pay £3 plus whatever you like on top of that. That's everything. Thank you for bearing with me. I very much appreciate it. Um, let's get back. I'll talk, I'll talk to you a little bit more at the end about LA Podfest. That's coming up soon. Let's get back for now to Mr. Bill Burr. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you say you want, you want to make sure you're always changing and evolving your stuff, do you find that you identify certain habits in your performance or, or certain habits in the way you might unpack a topic? Do you think, do you, do you kind of like... I, no, I just feel like there's, there's some things where I'm just like, all right, I feel like, you know... Like my last special, I didn't trash women. I just kind of felt like I did that already. We get it, Bill. You have issues with women. And if I'm going to talk about it, like I have a chunk on it now, but I'm coming at it from a different way where now it's just like, you know, what's wrong with me? Um, There's a number of things that I do to avoid the rut. And a lot of it has to do with my personal life. So I always try to, I'm learning how to, you know, I learned, I got a pilot's license, learned how to fly a helicopter. I dealt with the whole, you know, fear and all that type of stuff. And um, it's weird. It hasn't really <laughs> given me that much material because I, I feel like I always feel like <laughs> not that relatable, right? Well, I feel it's obnoxious to talk about. Sure, that you that you do stuff like that and. It's a classic second album problem. Like, I'm famous now. I'm so rich and flying a helicopter. All my songs are about helicopters. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess if I had a helicopter, that would be, that would be a bad thing. But, um, but yeah, it was, particularly but it, but given what that it was, Britney though, Spears material about but what it, Yeah, what it was was just going through ground school. That was my biggest fear of it. It wasn't the, the learning how to fly. I mean, it's a fucking machine. I mean, if you sit there long enough, you're going to know how to do it, right? 
but uh, it was the ground school, and that took me back to high school and flunking everything. Uh, by and ground school, you mean stuff like weather patterns and... Ground school is the, the classroom. You yeah, sit yeah. in the classroom, and they give you all this information, and with each level, there's tests that you have to pass, yeah. and there's all these rules and regulations, and there's all these textbooks and shit that you have to okay. buy. And I was just like, like this is what's going to fuck me. Not going out there and learning how to fly the thing. That was fun. Some of it you know, was a little frustrating, but... but it, that part was fun, but the the ground school and then I got into it, and a lot of the fear that I had was just because you know you go to school and it's like they choose the subjects and you just sort of forget like no I chose this this is actually interesting to me and I had no physics or science background was terrible and I actually learned all this stuff and as an adult to come back and do it it was really like fascinating so the stuff that I've learned in there has informed like you know some of my jokes and stuff, but like, I just don't, you know, kind of walk around and, you know, just, Hey, I know how to do this. You know, I just don't see where the comedy is in that. So when you, uh, when you talk about the difference from like your last special, you didn't trash women. You came in it from a different angle. Talk I just sort of left it alone where I was just like, I just felt like, dude, we get it. We get it. So I just sort of left that alone and, um, like, but if you but if you identify in your previous work that you have trashed women, mm -hmm. do you feel like last night you uh, you know in the gig last night there was you you kind of came back quite often to that refrain of I know I'm a caveman and in the past you said I know I'm a psycho, you know you mm -hmm. sort of you you have um, no but that's just me knowing who I am and I don't really say that I'm a caveman I know you guys think that I'm a caveman yeah sure I'm not what I like to think this might be my own ego is. I don't let people just sort of go like, you know, this sweeping generalization of like, oh, I'm this person. So that means I'm always right because I'm this because because I, I like like these groups that are, are considered basically oppressed. Right. Just because you're in those groups doesn't mean that you can't be wrong or you can't be an asshole. You know what I mean? So like say like the feminist groups and all that on TV, they, they can basically say as ridiculous shit as they want. And nobody's going to call them on it. Certainly guys are not going to call them on and be like, well, you know, it's not really like that, you know, from my perspective, because they're immediately going to get labeled a misogynist, a woman hater and all that. So they just sort of sit there and, um, you know, so I just sort of, you know, just have fun with that. Do you care that much about feminist bloggers shutting people down? Or is it that you know your comics instinct knows that that's a, a difficult topic with potential for outrage? No, it bugs the shit out of me. And I hate watching comedians have to apologize for jokes. It's the stupidest thing ever. And I don't like how somebody in the crowd gets to define what the comedian meant. And I always say, like, it's just like, look, you're, it's your free, it's your right to, to go to a comedy show and take a comedian seriously. But just because you took my joke seriously doesn't mean I now meant it. And you literally watch comments go, no, that's not how what I meant by it. And they're arguing with them. It's just like, wait, so you know what I'm thinking and, and what my, my intention was more than me? And I, just, I also feel like it's, it has nothing really to do with the comedian. It has to do with the cause. And what they're trying to do is just shine a light on, on what they want to change. And they're just using the comedian as a lightning rod to, to shine it on there. And they don't give a shit what they do to the comedian. So they're actually the asshole. Because if you look at it, the people that they get offended by always seem to have movie careers and TVs because they're not going to waste their time 
for the most part, getting offended by a no-name comic because they're not going to get any traction. Okay, but if it's, you know, stand-up, you know, you know, whatever, whatever, fucking St. Elsewhere's, whatever the name of the show is, so-and-so, you know, got in trouble at the blah, 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 at the, at the, at the comedy club. Um, Do you ever think it's justified? Do you ever think an attack on what someone said on stage is justified? Do you think a comedian... Do you think it's like it's a sacred space? A comedian can say anything they want with no comeback at all. Once again, this goes back to just because you're in a press group doesn't mean you, 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 know, you can't be an asshole. Just because you're a comic doesn't mean that you're never in the wrong. There's been times that I've been on stage and I've gotten mad and I just said something hurtful to somebody. Okay? So, like, afterwards, you know, if they wanted to come up to me, I would be like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. You know, of having a bad day and, and blah, 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 blah. That's the way it should be handled. This whole fucking thing that you got to have this. Why do you got to have like this press conference and has to be on on TV and all or, or whatever on in the Internet and the blogosphere well, and all that? Because because what it is, is it's all bullshit because they don't want an apology. They want the light shined on them and be, look at me. Look how my feelings got hurt. This is my cause, blah, blah, blah. And they're using the comic. If it was really just, you said this, I felt it was hurtful, it would be a one-on-one situation. That's what it is. Because no one would even know if it fucking happened. Yeah. This is what I love, too, is then, then it goes on the Internet and all these other people get offended about something that was said at a show that they weren't at. Sure. And then they feel that they're owed an apology. And everybody's yeah. all like, oh, me, me, me. I swear to God, the, some of these people on the fucking Internet, it's so funny the way that they look at people who are on the stage and they talk about our egos and stuff like that. It's, it's the tipping point is happening where the behavior of some of these fucking people in the crowd, their egos and all of their bullshit, they're, they're outshining some of the worst egomaniacs on my side of the microphone. It's like you but, guys. Well, this is it. This is it. If they, you accept there are egomaniacs on on your side of the microphone. Absolutely. So what, my my feeling is that maybe the people you're talking about who are making these kind of criticisms, what they feel is that they don't feel powerful. They they can't physically come and see you after a show. You're a, a Why from, not? from their point of view, you're a famous guy. You're making. I'm a not huge talking about me. money. I'm just saying in powerful. like a comedy club. In a comedy. Oh club. sure, sure, sure. But, but what I mean is, I think we, we as an audience, I'll include myself in an audience because I was there last night's show, we as an audience consider you powerful. So if a random blogger kind of, they've got no kind of oh, comeback to say it. this is a problem. They don't, that's such bullshit. You don't think? No. Well, so you think, what, do you feel powerful on stage or do you feel more vulnerable than powerful? I don't think anything. I think I'm going to work and these people paid money and I have to give them their money's worth. And I'm not going to go out there and do some sing-songy knock-knock who's there because that's insulting to them. And if I go out there in front of 100 people and 99 people enjoyed it and one person didn't, that's really not a big deal. That's sort of I just hit a home run. And for them to take that one person and act as though they represent the majority and second of all, that there's some sort of stenographer and remembered exactly what I said and they're a mind reader and know my intent and all of this shit, and then you have a kangaroo court, judge, jury, and then I'm a white guy, so immediately I had a privileged upbringing, right? My dad owned a Hollywood studio, and every day I had a gold bar for breakfast. Well, that's not what and, privilege and, means, and, though, is and, it? What, what do you mean, what is it? Well, that's not what privilege means, is it? Like, being, you're the beneficiary of privilege. You can, you can have a shit life and still be privileged. Do you know what I mean? 
No. Like when people refer to like male privilege or white privilege, they don't mean that you drove around in a yacht when you were a kid. They just mean that you didn't have to deal with these, these systematic issues that other people had to deal with, other normal yeah, people. That's all really vague horseshit. Okay. It is. That's all super vague. Human beings are so much more complex than that. So much more complex than that. And there's plenty of people in oppressed groups that have easier roads and way better lives than people who are so-called in a privileged group. You can't just look at somebody and be like, that's your skin color, you're that. You can do that with white people. But, but if I'm you were to do this, if you applied that same formula to somebody who wasn't white, it would be considered racist. Sure, but that's, I'm just saying that's not what so I you're understand me the somebody, term privilege So you're to telling me somebody could be getting sexually abused throughout their entire childhood, but because they're white... You know, that they still It doesn't mean privileged. that's okay. But that they so they still had a privileged life? No, but they had privilege within the term within the confines within, within, within the, the anal rape within the anal rape within by a family member, they still had this privilege. It's a cartoon, dude. It's a fucking cartoon. Oh. Everybody is a fucking cartoon. Everybody gets defined by the cartoon version of them. As a white guy, we're on a yacht, we're in the fucking Illuminati, sure. you know, we have like the perfect little breakfast and we get raised by a nanny and all of this shit. Like, it, like that's, that's the, the image of like the white, it, it's not like, you know, despite like in my country, you know, the shit I talk about, like you see these fucking people live in the middle of nowhere where there's like fracking, they've completely destroyed their drinking water and they're, they're broke ass white people and nobody cares about them. Okay, so I mean, I think having clean drinking water, once that's out the window, like for me, I would not feel that I had this privilege. You know what I'm saying? So I, I and I think that it's it's a it's a it's a divisive word. I understand it. I absolutely understand it. But to just sweepingly generalize all white people like their their life is a fairy tale is probably the worst way to try and bring people together because that puts someone on the defensive. And to me, that's 90% of the Internet where it's like, say I, I make an ignorant comment about something and you actually know the truth of it, okay? If you just said, listen, man, I'm actually in that industry or I'm in that blah, 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 or I grew up like that, and you came at me respectfully, I'm way more going to be open-minded to listen to you. But on the Internet, the way it's done is, hey, shit, dick, maybe if you blah, 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 they, yeah. they come at you like that. Yeah, but it's similarly, like, men's rights activists on the Internet are as appalling a group. I think we can agree that people who comment oh, on cringe, stuff they're online... they're cringeworthy. They're absolutely cringeworthy. Terrible. And they always so try among, to align my shit well, with yes, their horse shit. They do. And I tell you what, man, there were some people cheering in the audience last night who I thought, I don't know that they're getting a lot of irony from what Bill said. But here's here. the thing, though. That's not my responsibility. I'm not a babysitter. And I'm not toning down what I say. And this is the thing. Anything that I say, including to you, the second I'm done saying it isn't 100% what I said. Because the second I say it, it goes into your ears, into your head, and is immediately cut with your childhood and all of your life experience. Okay? So it's like drugs that have been stepped on. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. So everybody is trying to make human beings out to be these simple, one-dimensional one-dimensional things and when human beings are so much more complex than the fucking soundbite of three seconds into their act or, or, or one joke that they said and then you're defined this is who the fuck you are and I've always said this okay if 
if they could download all of your thoughts, would you have a job on Monday? Would you not have to make an apology? I don't think anybody could survive that test. And, but there's this thing walking around where they're just making generalizations like these people are privileged, these people are oppressed, these people are, are ignorant, these people are this, these people are that. You can make fun of these people, you can't make fun of these people. You know what I mean? You can't make fun of Caitlyn Jenner because of transgender people, blah, 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 blah. Rednecks, you can just say they fucked their sister in the ass and you're going to get a fucking standing ovation, blah, 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 blah. So it's okay to make fun of their poverty. And the fact that their, their luck was that they fucking, you know, were in the middle of nowhere. In my country, just the fact that their state is not near an ocean, which somehow then just makes you the dumbest person on the planet, according to, you know, uh, New York and L.A., where I'm from. It's just like, I mean, this is one of the advantages of being a comedian and traveling, is you get to see all the different types of all the different types of people, all the different layers, all the different levels, all the different stories within all the different colors of people. So all of that stuff that I see on TV is just, it's just a bunch of yammering to me by a bunch of people that really need to expand the, the friends that they have in their lives. And a lot of them, I feel, they just, I just, you know, I, I don't know, just the, the way they just go after comedians like that, it's such lazy journalism. When, dude, you have genetically altered food, there's a heroin epidemic, okay, you know, I mean, you just go on and on and on. The oceans are getting fished up. Yeah, there's major fucking problems. Never talked about. Pharmaceutical companies, you know, getting people hooked on these, these things that get people on heroin. I mean, there should be a class action suit against those guys. All that shit gets fucking oppressed. But you do a Caitlyn Jenner joke in a strip mall, that's going to go on the news. You know why? Because there's no risk. There's no risk. There's no danger to that. There's nothing. They, we, if, if comedians started paying for advertising on fucking network TV, that you, you'd never see a comic get in another trouble. We fucking unionized and there was actually money for them to lose by coming after one of us then you would see a lot of that shit go away and where does it where does it come from in you in your own in your personal life where, what is it what is it that's driving you to where, where does that anger come from because there's a bunch of comics out there who don't specialize in taking apart i these think kind of my topics. passion gets confused with anger i just think that like i don't feel i mean i definitely have a temper and I, I, you know, I get frustrated with stuff like that. But I don't just walk around seething and rage. Like, I love my life. I love my wife. I love my dog. I mean, I'm just like, I just, you know, I honestly just feel like I like my life is, is incredible. I, I do feel like that. But, like, the shit that I get upset about is just stupid shit. Like, I get mad at the fucking, you know, if you want to do this, press one. I will absolutely lose my shit. But if my house was to burn down and I lost everything... I would probably laugh and be like, ah, well, fuck it. We'll start over again. Like, it's little things that make me flip out. But I understand why people think that I'm this angry person. I think a lot of times they watch my act and I'm doing a character that has rage. And then they think that it's like, like my rage or whatever. And I, just, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, I came up in a part of the world where this is how people talk. Like, this is normal. And I find people from where I live... When we move out, people always go, you know, what's mad? Are you all right? What's wrong? Why are you yelling? And you're like, I'm not. I'm just, this is how I talk. The fuck is wrong with you, you know? So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm like more defensive or something like that. But I, I will say that like, you know, I don't know. I just love watching comedy and watching, the, 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 I don't know, just watching these people come on TV 
and just getting all of this fucking credit as audience members. Like they're these, these, these Peabody award-winning journalists. It's just like you write a blog. Anybody can fucking do that. And all of a sudden, like you're, you're, you're being treated. 1,500 people come out to a show. One person gets offended. That's a story. So Why don't wh- they talk to the other 1,400 that went like, oh, I had a great time. Well, that's the way news works, isn't it? You know, no one's ever going to go, yeah, it was great. It's a great show. That's not going to make the front page ever, isn't it? Well, that's my point. So, so I think it's last, a bunch of outrage about nothing. So last night you did material, that material about overpopulation, the submarine stuff, the cruise ships. Mm-hmm. Don't tell too many. No, no, no. I'm not, so I'm not going to. I got I'm a gonna, special coming up. You're killing okay. me here. <laughs> I'm not going to give anything away about it. But you tackled the subject of overpopulation. Right. Is that okay? I can, I yes. can cut that out yes, if I'm no, giving away too much. Absolutely. So is that, that really, I love that bit. I found that I was enjoying that bit without any kind of... Um, uh, oh, oh, I don't know if I totally agree with Bill's politics on this bit. I don't know if I can quite say where this guy's politics. coming from. You I'm do. A, everyone has politics. I'm a comedian. I'm a comedian. You talking to people is a political act. Having sharing your opinions is a political See, act. Now you're doing what those bloggers do. do you think, now, you're, now you're telling me what it is that I'm doing. I'm literally telling you what I'm doing, and you're like, no. Just the mere fact you go on stage well, makes my idea of what you're doing correct. You literally just did it. Okay, do That's you think... That's what drives me nuts. Do you think, if you see a movie, if you see a movie directed by someone, that person could have intended for the movie to say something, and you as a viewer can read something different from that movie and go, oh, actually... Like in the same way you were saying, you know, that you could look back at earlier well, stuff where you... wouldn't that be misinterpreting you... what the person was saying? It might be misinterpreting what they decided to say, but it might not be misinterpreting what they meant. Like, they might have meant some, that might, you know, something might have come through in their <laughs> work. that they could me, only. Dude. You just well, did like a okay. barrel roll there. Okay, well, so you were saying that uh, you have, look, I've, not, you weren't saying right now, but I'm sure I've read an interview, correct me if I'm wrong, that you could look back at some of your previous work and go, okay, I went a little bit hard on that. So you, you can look back at previous work of yours and go, I don't know that I still agree with what I was saying. Is that right? Or I'm, I misunderstood that. Yo, everything. If I look back on any special, I'll look at the performance. I could have done that better. Um, I could have done this better. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, this is one of these things, dude, where you're getting way, way, way too deep into this. Like, the, I don't understand this new analyzing of stand-up comedy. Like, it's this fuck. Like, this, this is all. It's, okay, just think about this for a second. If comedians actually had the fucking ability to change how people think. It wouldn't be legal. They wouldn't allow it. They wouldn't allow somebody to have that level of power. I think, I mean, I think that's a funny idea. I get where you're coming from. But I think stand-up comedy has changed the way I think. I grew up listening to stand-up comedy. I'm so sure you that literally, You literally walk sure in a comedy show me. going like, I think this. And then you walk in there and somebody says something. And that now I think that. No, of course not. You're reducing, like, down to, for the sake of, like, no, that didn't happen on one event, but by following a load of comedians and listening to you know what comedians made me, what changed me about comedians, they made me want to be a comedian. That's it. It never affected how I voted. It never affected how I, I treated people. It's a show. You can, you can get inspired and make you, like, you see a rock band, I want to learn how to play drums. You can see a comedian, I, I want to fucking learn how to be a comic. But just think that it's going to change like you're, you're fucking... It's going to take, you know, 18 years of parenting is going to go out the window watching a comedian for like 90 minutes. It just it doesn't have that level of power. And, but that's what they're pretending. 
They're but pretending what if you watch- that that does while pharmaceutical companies and all these people do the shit that they do, and they don't even report on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so this, this, this is my point. This bit, right. You're talking about overpopulation. So that was... A, and like, I admit in, the, in, in all of it that I don't read and I'm not up on it, and most of my stuff yeah, is yeah. conspiracy theory and overhearing yeah. shit. I'm not trying in, to make you into in a the airport. In the airport. So right there, that you shouldn't... Like, right there, what, what sort of political platform is that? To stand on stage, tell people that you don't pay attention to things, and now I'm going to give you my opinions on it. It's absurd. And that's what makes it stand-up comedy. I'm not running for office. I'm not changing laws or anything. But I do think if I have a conversation with my friend and he thinks a particular thing, then that might change the way I think about a thing. All right, and this yeah. is the thing. I'm, I've gotten to the point in my life that I understand that we're not going to agree on this. Okay. So this is just going to just keep going around in okay. a circle, and it's going to get boring for people. So um, I just, you know, I'm going to do a show today at 345. There's going to be no politics in it. I'm going to go up and make, like, you got to understand, like, some of the shit, it, it, I'm just being absurd. It's just stupid. I'm just being stupid for stupid sake. You know, fucking when you hang out with comics, some of the shit we say in cars and stuff, all we're trying to top each other, the stuff that we say is, is outrageous. And it's just to make each other laugh. So you don't believe it. Yeah, I don't know a fucking thing is what I've learned in 48 years. I don't know a fucking thing. I don't. I really don't. I, other than this shit, as far as like, how to disguise it, disguise it, and then boom, have it pop out of a different box than they thought it was going to. But I'm up there. I would never. Th- That's th- okay. I would Let's- never think that I would know more on any of the subjects that I'm talking about on stage than an actual expert. The only thing I would know more on is how to write jokes than someone who isn't a comedian. So when you said there, conceal it, conceal it, and then reveal it, those kind of things is a different. It's a different tack now. Away from the political okay. idea. In terms of your skill set, your, your toolkit as a comedian, what kinds of other things like that are there? Because I'm always fascinated to hear when people describe, like in a, and, on, and it's often in that kind of, you know, I just do that, da 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 Like, that. what are those things? So reveal it, reveal it, reveal it, and then conceal a thing. What other kind of things do you do on stage that you could describe like that? Well, all, when I say conceal, conceal, then all it is is the audience can't know where you're going. If they know where you're going, that's when you become corny because, you know, you finally run across the finish line. They're already standing there going like, yeah, dude, we were here 10 minutes ago. We knew where you were going. So comedy evolves. Like, I think the crowds are so much more educated than they used to be on comedy because they're making YouTube videos and they try to be funny. And then they get the comments. They get the feedback. So they start figuring out, you know, what plays and what doesn't play. Which is funny, like watching everybody on YouTube rip off the Chappelle show, something funny, and then you slow it down. Like that was, to me, Chappelle show did that first. And then that just became like a, uh, sort of like a, a, um, a new, I don't know what you would call it. I don't, uh, like a trope. Like a, yeah, like a thing, yeah. yeah, trope that you can, you can do. So um, there's a zillion different ways. You can just walk on stage with a one-liner and just say something shocking. I'm not too good at that but like just something surprising um to be honest with you i think it's really dangerous to try to break down your own style because i don't think you ever want to be between your ears when you're on stage like that's when you're in like the prison and and that's when you're like going oh my god i feel like that an hour i've done eight minutes and then that's when it just starts 
to slowly, uh, you know, make you hate yourself and stuff like that. And I just, I just, I hate those nights. So Does that still- my thing is I'm addicted to trying to be in the zone. That's what I'm addicted to. That's what I'm chasing. And I've learned a bunch of tricks when I'm trapped in my act on how to get myself out of it. I, I know what gets me bogged down so I get out of it. Can you, can you give me an example of, of, that, of those sorts of tricks? I did, right. a, I did a preview coming up here. There was the worst gig I've ever done in my career. 11 years. It happened about six weeks ago. And I, was, I could feel myself pushing the stick down and just flying the plane into the, into the ground. Sabotaging and, it or? No, no, no. Um, we, it, it, I just was getting nothing. And I was just so stressed. And just nine or 10 minutes in, I was like, oh, I've got to be up here for another 50 minutes. This isn't working. And I could just feel did you, myself. Did you address it with the crowd? Yes, I did. Yeah. And that's got nothing. Work. Tried to acknowledge it, got nothing. They're just looking at me, just sucking. All right, that's a tough it was, situation. It was, I mean, literally, the worst I don't know if I know how to get out of, of that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, there was no way out. I should have jumped out of the window. But, but, I, but what, I really, um, uh, what really resonates with me is when you say that thing of like getting trapped in your own act. I've never heard anyone dis- describe it like that before. When you go like, oh, I'm just doing, I'm just saying the things that I say. Right. And I'm not actually performing. I'm not actually contacting this, this crowd. Yeah. So what you said, there's like some tricks to, to snap you out of that. What tricks that works for me, just because of the way my brain works, is if I, um, yeah, I'm trapped in my act, and now I'm going into a bit that I was already sick of, <laughs> and I'm ready to burn the bit, and I'm already sick of it. Even if uh, this, this show was going well, I would still be sick of it. What I do is I try to make myself laugh. I'll like overly commit to something in a goofy way that I never did. Or I just start tagging every joke. Um, or I'll address it. I'll just in between jokes, just sing, I hate my act. Um, <laughs> and I, then if, if it happens before I go on stage, I can just feel it's going to happen. I just think things like, uh, all right, what's going on with me right now? What am I afraid of? What am I frustrated with? What am I worried about? Oh, I guess that's afraid. Just, I just ask myself questions, and I just go on stage and try to talk about that. Like, like the biggest thing that I try to do to avoid being trapped in my act is I don't think anything before I go out there. I don't know what I'm going to open with, even if I keep opening with the same thing. Like, I just don't want to uh, um, have any sort of preconceived... Like I'm doing this and then I'm doing that because then I, that is a dangerous thing for me because then then that's when I become you know comic robot up there. Um, but the, I don't know. I just sometimes there's an, an older joke I can do. It's I don't really play with the crowd. I'm not big on playing with the crowd. Like I've never understood they came out and now I'm gonna shit on you because you sat in the front row. I kind of have this unwritten rule that I don't fuck with the crowd unless someone in the crowd messes with me and then if you do even then i always try to i try to now as i'm older i just try to go like a silly route i just you the know the thing with the spaceman last night do you remember that guy that was heckling i don't even know if it's a bit that you do or if it's just something you improvised at the time about the the guy who sort of found himself at the end of the line oh yeah do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. Is that is that have you said that before even no. i couldn't tell that was so beautiful no, that was another thing that's another thing too because that's another one where i feel like you should stay in the present like i um like most comics i had the stock heckler lines yeah um and then to me that f- 
I, I started to resent that they worked. Because, you know, when a crowd thinks something is improvised rather than prepared, they laugh even more. Yeah. So the fact that they, you get this huge laugh and you're cringing going like, this is a stock line. I didn't even come up with it. It made me feel horrible. So I just, I worked on not, um, of just staying in the moment and, and just taking it in, seeing something and trusting that something funny was going to come out and learning how to do that, you know, saved my ass when I was in Philly that night. So yeah, just right. all through all, but that, that came through years of watching, you know, there was guys that I learned, you know, Patrice O'Neill was, was beyond, uh, influential, um, watching him do what, what he did. And, uh, Greg Fitzsimmons was a guy who I first saw was amazing with, with hecklers. Jim Norton, I learned stuff from him. I, I learned stuff from everybody um, as far as like, just sort of like, oh, you can, you can come from that approach. Oh, you can come from that approach. And I just... Uh, Had anything like yeah. Philly ever happened before? Like on that, maybe not on that scale. Had you ever No, done I got that? booed. Yeah, I got booed a couple of times. But, but, like but when, when I you... got booed, I, like, I still didn't leave the stage, but I didn't know what to do. And then afterwards, I remember thinking, like, well, I at least should have said, made fun of that guy's big head. Right. I used to, at least could have said that. You just sort of analyzing it. And then, um, you know, then I just sort of forgot about it. It's not like you walk around preparing to get booed. And then, like, that whole thing just happened. And that was just one of those nights where it just happened. I mean, if it happened, this is the great, the scary thing about comedy is if that hap- show had happened the day before, the day after. I might have just gone down in flames. It was yeah. just that night. <laughs> and the video would have been even more viral. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. But it was just that night I just happened to be wherever my headspace was that um, I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't even remember. I was so long ago. I can't remember really what I was thinking, but I just <laughs> I kind of went out there arrogant, uh, to be honest with you. Because they were just they were just such an unruly crowd the whole time that by the time I went out there I was like well, why am I even here I would rather be fucking working someplace else in front of thirty people that actually wanted to see a show so I walked out there completely not prepared so I mean I actually sort of brought it on myself um, probably if I'm honest more so than them and then when they booed me it was almost like. Uh, it just sort of gave me license to say what I was thinking anyways backstage because I, you know, they were being assholes and it was, a, it was an unbelievable show. The fucking show was ridiculous. It was like Patrice O'Neill, Tracy Morgan, Robert Kelly, Jim Norton, Ralphie May. I want to say Bob Sag. It was like Rich Voss was hosting. It was fucking murderers row. Dom Irera, all these guys. And it was just like, and no one was, if I remember, no one was really having a good time because you could just feel it. You could just feel, <laughs> you just feel it in the air. We knew someone was going to catch it. Someone was going to get a fucking beating. And you just, well, like, the overwhelming thing I saw people doing when they came off stage was relieved. I saw one person. It wasn't Patrice. It was somebody else that I, I literally saw them just cut their act short in the middle. And I fucking died laughing because I was like, I know this guy, and I know what the rooms this guy came up in, and he can feel a booing coming. <laughs> and he just fucking, he just stopped. He goes, thanks a lot. You guys have been great. And just stood up, and I was just like, that guy fucking was supposed to do 20 minutes. He just did 11 and fucking bailed. 
and fucking Because the bailed. wave is coming and he doesn't No, he knew it was coming. And I was yeah. like, that guy you tell him to do 20 usually does about 40. He did 11. Thanks a lot. God bless. And fucking got off stage. And, uh, yeah, that was just, you know, that was just one of those things. But, um, you know, so I don't, I don't know. So, yeah, I guess... What I'm learning through talking to you is I don't think about, like, a lot of what I think, I never verbalize. So I just, it's, a lot of it's in here. So I, I would have to, like, sit down and I have, I have a bad feeling when I leave here. So much shit is, I'm then going to remember. But I do have a bunch of tricks that I do when I feel that uh, I'm just, yeah, trapped in my act. And I also have, you know, my upbringing, my parents worked really hard and everybody in my town worked really hard. So, like, I have, like, that you know, that sort of thing where it's weird. My parents are white collar, but we blew up, grew up in a blue collar town. And there was just, there's just some of that work ethic thing that you get from being around those people. And you just can't like fuck people over if they came and they paid to see a show. You, there's like a certain level. I feel that it has to be at. And a lot of that had to do with coming from Boston where the clubs were big and they would paper them. And these legendary comics, there, like the level that they would kill at. It sounded like a fucking jet was landing. So, Immediately to me, those were the first crowds I heard. So to me, that was killing. Do you remember the first bit you had where you felt that jet engine? Like when you, you kind of like, okay, that joke works and that joke works. When that momentum of just like, bang, I remember bang. the first time feeling like I was actually locked in with the crowd. And I had them for like, like, a, like a minute. I, had, I got on a roll. And I was at... Uh, it was this club, Nick's Comedy Stop, and they had this one out on Route 9 in, like, Framingham, Massachusetts. And I, I still remember that. I remember that feeling. And then I remember, like, two nights in a row going to Nick's Comedy Stop in, in Boston and just, I don't know why, murdering. Murdering. And then what was funny was I got so much attention from the other comics going, like, wow, dude, you had the set of the night two nights in a row. And the pressure of that I was not comfortable with. <laughs> and then I went and I sucked like the other, and I was almost relieved to only just do okay. Like I was really like that was another thing too. I think why it took me so long to get anywhere was I was you know really shy, reserved, and did not like attention, which is so weird to pick this job. But like I like to kind of and to this day I love like if I just did the job when I walked off stage, if no one knew who the fuck I was, if they just knew who I was when tickets needed to be sold, which is the big thing, and after that they didn't. I would be beyond okay with that. Yeah. Beyond okay with that. There's a, there's a you know, Sia, the singer? She no. never appears with her face in public. She did that song, Chandelier. I saw her doing a no. warm-up gig. She always covers her face in public. So the whole thing is, it's my voice, it's not my face. And it's fucking great. Because she can just, she can text, she can sound check. Then just hang out in the cafe in this TV studio and people just walk past her. She's not famous. She sold millions, millions and millions of records. Oh, when she goes on stage? Yeah, she goes on stage, she always has her face covered. That'd be pretty sweet. I'm amazed this time that nobody's ratted her out. What yeah. she looks like. I mean, you can find her online. You can find what she looks like. But, but just the idea speaking, of being huge but not needing to be a famous person. That's, that's yeah, that's perfect. That's attractive. Because then you get to live the life. You know, you get to live your dream. You get to make ridiculous money. And then, you, yeah, you don't have to fucking deal with it. Like, uh, you don't have to carry it around with you 24-7. It's like not, never being able to leave the office. You know, remember that movie, The Office, where the guy, yeah, I need you to work Saturday. Yeah, yeah. it starts to become. Uh, uh. 
Do you want to let go of it sometimes? Would you, would you be happier? Like, do you do that thing like you're wearing a cap when you came over? Do you kind of disguise yourself so as to not get recognized? Uh, no, I wear a hat because it's cold here and my head is shaved. <laughs> but I guess, I mean, yeah, maybe a little bit. Oh, but only if I'm going to a comedy club will I do something like that. If I have, like, a show, like, I don't, this is the deal. I, after I have a good show and I feel like I gave them their money's worth, I don't mind talking to them. It's that beforehand, people coming up to you and stuff, and it's just like, dude, let me earn it first. Yeah. And then afterwards, you know, um, if I run into people, you know, hey, great show, blah, blah, blah. And then, I, then I'm totally relaxed with it. Oh, thanks for coming out. I had a great time. Legendary venue. You know, I always Wikipedia these, these places that I go to to try to see all these people that have performed there. And then, but then once that interaction is done, like... Yeah, I would rather. I always go to like a dive bar or something like that. I, I'm much more comfortable with, uh, you know. Yeah, it's like, all right, shut up already. You just fucking talked for an hour, an hour and a half. And I would just rather sit there. Um, yeah, that's why I like cigar bars because they're just inherently just like it's an old man habit for the most part. And everybody's just sort of sitting there quietly and you just get a head nod or something. And uh, yeah. You know, so contrary to what a lot of people, when they watch my act, think my act, my life is really loud and rageful, and it isn't. It isn't. I mean, I can definitely be a lunatic, and I drive my wife nuts, but, like, um, um, I like chilling out way more than I would ever want to be in, you know, someplace with a DJ in a roped-up VIP area, like all of that type of stuff. I am fascinated with people like that. That like to, and I love watching it on TV. That people like, I love seeing people with money that aren't, they have no shame that they have money. <laughs> like I was in London recently, and those Saudi Arabian kids that yeah. come from the oil money and they fly their supercars in. That was one of the most fat, like I want a reality show about that. I want to watch, because they're driving down the street in these $350,000 cars, but they then have to get them custom painted because all their friends have them too. So it's not even enough just to have it. And they sit there, like, driving along, like, revving the engine. Hung, hung, hung. And it's so fucking loud. And me, I'm a closet gearhead, so I love hearing it. But, like, just to resent. And it's just just to be sitting there in a convertible, $350,000 car, revving the fucking engine, just bathing in how wealthy you are. As this, uh, these Londoners are walking by in humidity, just trudging along in, like, human traffic. Next to you, to me, there was just like just something so funny. And when I was walking down the street, this guy was like revving the engine, and this the English lady next to me just goes, "Oh, stop it!" And it just <laughs> fucking made me. It just like made my day, like listening to that stuff. But uh, the cars are incredible. I got two more questions. Okay. If you had to, if you were a critic and you had to criticize your own act, like honestly, knowing what you know about your act, this is this is the length of my criticism would be: Did he give him their money's worth? Did people go away happy, or does he need to work more? That's, that's all it basically is. What critics do, just sitting there looking for something, I mean, I'm a human being. You know what I mean? It's, critics are fascinating to me now that they still have them because it's kind of like obsolete at this point. It's like everyone in the crowd is a critic now that can be heard. They go on Twitter, they go on Facebook, and I, I always like the fans, the fans' critique of me is to me way more accurate because they just get right to it. It's like, oh, it was great. 
or eh, or like, <laughs> what a fucking waste of money. And to me, every show is that. But if you, it's, it, it's either great, it was okay, or what a fucking waste of money. There's shades of that, but to really be like, you know, like just fucking pontificating for three fucking pages. I mean, what's funny is none of my actors written down, so they're writing three more fucking pages <laughs> than, I, than what they actually went and saw, which is, to me, just uh, but it, it's an odd thing. I mean, I, I, I totally see where you're coming from, but what I mean is in terms of, like, your, your strengths and weaknesses as a comic, are there, like, other things that, that you would like to be able to do on stage that you don't feel you've mastered? Yeah, there's stuff that I'm working on right now, absolutely. I'm not going to tell you what it is, because then I'm showing the rabbits in the hat, but there's definitely... Well, I just call, I look at it like sports. Like if you played basketball and you couldn't go to your left, how do you get better? You go to your left. And so, which goes back to that thing that they always say, you know, to get great, you have to bomb. That was always really vague and I didn't understand it. That's what, to me, that that's what that means. It's like stop driving towards what you already know how to do. Drive to the shit that you can't do. And like um, over the last like six years, is something that I've consistently been doing and pu- forcing myself to do. And I felt I've had more growth in the last six years than I did in the probably the previous eight years. Your first 10, 12 years, you just, it's monstrous growth because you go from not knowing how to do it at all to actually coming up with an hour of material and learning how to headline. It's just everything is such a fucking milestone. Um, but then once you're headlining clubs, that's... The, the, the point where so many comics, I feel there's not enough information out there for them. It's like, now what do I do? How do I keep this, like, um, challenging and exciting? And that's, you have to go back to the bombing thing, which to me is you, you go to the clubs. Like, I don't do that on the weekends when someone pays to see me because they want to get their money's worth. They don't want to watch me fucking staring at my navel trying to work this shit out they didn't pay for a workshop they paid for a show so i always try to make sure i give them a show um if i'm killing hard enough i might try something more difficult but other than that i'll just try a few new jokes but during the week that's when um you know you go down there and you bomb but i've been doing it long enough that i learned how to bomb so i can bomb gracefully so i'll be up there bombing but it sounds like i'm having a good set but in my head i'm really frustrated because that thing that I'm working on didn't work. So can, can you give us an example of a thing you worked on? I know you don't want to talk about the ones that you're working I, on. I would at the moment, say like I, over the last six all years. All right. Well, I used to do like uh, when I'd be riding in the car with my wife, like whatever scenario, and I would just start going off on it, and I would just go into like a character, and I would be having a conversation with another character that you couldn't hear, but because of what I was saying, you understood what they had just said. Yeah, right. Okay. That type of stuff. Now, that's shit that I, when I was growing up, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, which was this golden age of comedy, and, like, I saw guys that could do that. Pryor was definitely the best at it. And it was something that I did, and I used to make my wife, like, crying laughing. Crying laughing, doing it in the car. And then I would be like, all right, I'm going to try that on stage. And it was this totally new thing that was just completely different from what I was doing, which was just like, hey, did you see this? That fucking sucks. I'm the fucking angry guy, right? So to try to then do that felt so foreign that I would immediately start bombing. And it was, I would go from like a comic with 16 years experience, 
feeling that vibe to then looking like an open micer and exposing myself. And it was so fucking frustrating. I just kept starting and stopping and starting and stopping. I tried to do it three nights in a row and then just quit and leave it alone for like another year and a half would go by before I try it again. And then finally, like five, six years ago, I just said, fuck this. I know I can do this. Stop being such a pussy. Just go up there and take your lumps. And it ended up being like, it took me like eight days to get enough traction where I could do it for like 30 seconds before it went off the rails. But I had that basically toehold. And I held on to that. And then I just kept building on that. And then, then I got comfortable. Once I got comfortable with it, then my whatever, 15, 16 years of stand-up experience could then be applied to it. And then it took off and became what I was doing in the car. And so that was like this like sort of watershed moment where I was just like, oh, the, like you can get better at these things if you, if you work on them. It's a really weird thing. How you can, It doesn't seem possible, but you can get funnier. It's we I can't explain it. Like, um, other than to go back to the uh, instrument thing, where it's just like there's there's ways to try. It. Like I, through stand up, I became a better drummer because by learning how to free myself up in comedy, I realized how trapped in what the fuck I was doing as a drummer. All I did as a drummer was like I'd listen to Iron Maiden or Zeppelin, and I would just try to do exactly what they did. And then when I applied comedy, it's like, yeah, dude, that's called being a joke thief. <laughs> like, you're just, you're, 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 you're a like, rhythm thief. <laughs> yeah. So you're not, you're not adding to this art. You're not being influenced by them. You're just aping what they're doing. So I was just like, whoa, yeah. And, and I, I can't improv on drums. I can't do all this stuff. So by then, then they sort of fed each other where the frustrations of my drumming, then I looked at just stuff in like my act. But, um, no, but you can you can work on different like skill set. I, like I know a comic that uh, was always like a big energy guy all around the stage. This guy Robert Kelly, and then he had a knee and knee and injury, and then he so as he was rehabbing that, I mean, he still had to make you know he's a comedian, he's got to work right. So then he just had to just stand there, and it totally changed his energy. And I watched. Like, I never really told him this, but I watched him because it was a fascinating thing to me to watch because I knew that, like, when he was upstairs, he was just sitting down. He was still funny as fucking hell. But this was going to be his first time where he sort of had to do what he did upstairs, downstairs. And over, like, the course of the week, he just got comfortable doing it. And then I felt that he, like, became, like, a 20% better comedian immediately because of a fucking knee injury that took away his, uh, like, this is what I do on stage. So now when I watch him, it's like he can do what he always did, but then he can, he can now complement that with this stillness. So then it becomes more like, you know, uh, there's more layers to it, which just automatically takes it to, like, this other level. So, like, it's just seeing comics do stuff like that. You sure this isn't like totally fucking boring? I feel like no, I'm just going, but all right. Let all, all of my guests at some point go, I mean, this is, this is totally fucking boring, right? Right, right. <laughs> no, right. It seems to be successful okay. regardless. Okay. Last thing, are you happy? Totally. Absolutely. Probably the, the happiest I've been um, since I was like a kid. 
Yeah. You don't seem like you believe it on any level. I'm just being quiet to just let you finish the end of that sentence just in case there was more to come. Very, no. very few committees. You and Brian Regan. <laughs> That's basically it. I, I, I try to ask that of most, or nearly all of my well, guests. Well, because what it ended up somewhere in my 30s, I started 35, 36, you're like times two is 70, 72. So I spent half, I spent half of that being miserable. I don't want to be the miserable guy. I don't want to be that guy that everybody goes, oh, man, that guy was like, you know, when you're dead, like that's what they fucking say about you. I mean, um, my friends who really know me, you know, not the guy on stage or anything, would not be surprised to hear that, to say that I'm happy. Like I, I absolutely love my life. I feel unbelievably privileged to use that word that like I, I get to do this for a living, that I get to go to. It's like people save up their whole lives to go to Europe. And the fact that I can come over here, make money doing my dream job, the job that makes me dance in a kitchen after I just made fucking eight bucks, evidently, is like there's no reason for, uh, you know, for me not, not to be happy, happy. And I also, like, I also learned how my brain, like, I had, like, mild, I didn't have clinical depression, but I just didn't know how to steer my way out of it. Like, some negative thought would pop into my head and rather than being like, nah, fuck that, it's going to be fine, I would just listen to it and be like, really? Is that what's going to happen? And then what's going to happen? I was just letting this part of my brain just, like, talking to me. And, did you just... And none of it was good. And No, what, no that, that's not something you can just turn around. It took a long time. And I just learned, like, um, just the same way. Like, if you're trapped in your act, how do I get myself out of this? So if I start to feel depressed, the... the level of shit that I have, what I do is I'll do something positive. Like I play drums, that gets the energy going. It's so much f fun. It's one of the great instruments. Um, absolutely love it. That'll get me out of it. Go to the gym, working out gets me doing. I'm going to try a new bit. You know, maybe there's a new restaurant or something. Like I just, I go do something. I get out of the house. But like if I just sit there, you know, and you just let those thoughts start washing over to you, they, they're going to drag me down to the bottom of the lagoon. Like, I, I was feeling some of that yesterday before the afternoon show. You know, showing up, the hotel isn't ready. I'm not a young man anymore. I'm 10 days into this fucking thing, and I'm just thinking, oh, God, this, you know. And um, I showed up for the gig, and I was just, like, feeling that feeling of, like, I'm ready to go home. I don't want to do this. And then I've just been doing it long enough. I was just like, danger, danger. Do not go. Do not do that. And then I just was like, right before I went out there, I was like, uh, I was like, I'm just going to commit as fucking hard as I can to everything I'm doing. And I went out there and, you know, wasn't thinking anything. And I just started talking and it was completely silly, totally fucking ridiculous. And I was immediately having a great time, and then the rush of doing what you love for a living totally got rid of all of that stuff. Um, so, I don't know. That's basically, as far as my understanding of myself, how my brain works, how I keep myself out of those areas so I can be happy. But uh, I am. Thanks, man. All right, cool. Thank you so much Thank for having you. me. <laughs> So that was Bill. What a fabulous time I had talking to him. What a, I really, what a great conversation. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you to Bill. Like I said, thank you to Michael O'Brien for helping me set that up. 
Um, and uh, it's quite fun to disagree about stuff, isn't it? Um, I hope I sort of stood my ground as much as was sensible under the circumstances. Uh, I don't think the, the aim of this show is to, is to disagree with people or start rows for, for their own sake. But I, I, I do think that he and I disagree on the subject of privilege. But it was really fun to have a, a, a fairly passionate conversation about it. And I'm quite pleased that it, you know, obviously part of me was thinking, how angry is he? Is he going to walk out? That might be quite interesting. Um, but, uh, or is he going to physically attack me? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, you know, I say that largely because of my own cowardice rather than any, uh, any sort of uh, threatening gestures on Bill's part. Um, but, you know, what a, what, a, what a load of fun that was. So uh, thank you for listening. Very much appreciated. Um, this is uh, all going out in one go. I was going to split it up. What hour and 30 isn't quite long enough to split up. So there we go. Have it all. Get it up you. Get it down you. And uh, come along and see. Compared to what? At the Liquid Rooms Annex. 3.45pm. Get there early. Free fringe. Bring money. Oh, and finally, while I remember, LA Podfest. If you go to lapodfest.com, if you're not lucky enough to be in Los Angeles in the uh, penultimate weekend of September, I think, um, 23rd, 4th, 5th, something like that, um, then you can stream, you can live stream from the comfort of your own home the entire podcast festival with guests such as the Comedians Comedian Podcast, very proud to be the first UK show out there, um, and also Welcome to Night Vale, and uh, loads of other, the Mental Illness Happy Hour, the Crab Feast, um, loads of really, really great shows. Kevin Pollock's show is going to be there. You can live stream all of them. You can buy that online and you can get a discount if you're a, a listener of this show. You can enter the code when it, when it prompts you for a code. Enter the word COMEDIAN. They told me it's in capital letters, so let's assume that it's in capital letters. So um, uh, so that's everything. Check out LA Podfest. I'm going to be beavering away, giving you some, uh, bringing back some interviews there. I've got some potentially very exciting people uh, to bring back, uh, to organise. So I won't bring the people back. Unless I can fit them on a hard drive. So I'm sorry, it's my baby's up here and I'm not sleeping so great. So that's all we need for now. Thanks once again to the Place Hotel and Becky for setting that up. And thank you to Gemma from The Stand. Do go and check out all the brilliant shows at The Stand, as well as all the free ones, as well as all the paid ones, as well as all the, the recommendations and everything else. And very finally, do join the ComediansComedian.com Facebook group. Uh, you can find that on, online if you're a Facebook user fairly easily. Um, you can join that. I'll get around to that sort of ad people most days. So um, so just click on request. Uh, and that way we can, we can relate and you can hear more up-to-date fringe recommendations. Thank you. Quite a lot of chat there. No time for a waffle. Great big episode. Um, bloody oh I'm having so much fun <laughs> having so much fun and I'll tell you what if, it, if you can bear okay that concludes the podcast I'll give you a two minute waffle okay so for those of you still there and I know like three or four of you are um, I am completely out of the review system this year and it feels so great I'm not paying any attention I'm not even I, I've had a couple of positive reviews so far I haven't read them ah now, <laughs> this is so hard to do, and I'm very lucky to, to be in the position now uh, where I, I'm in a place in my career when I can have a team of people, but you can, even if you're early doors, you can set this up, have a friend read them and then not tell you or what have you. I do recognise sometimes you need to know the reviews in order to promote the show. Um, I've had a couple of good ones, and uh, I know that because of the star rating. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.